All right, we're continuing in 2 Timothy chapter 2 today. Uh, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Uh, take it, keep it. Uh, if you know someone who needs a Bible, give it to them. Uh, take two, that's fine. Uh, we love God's Word. We believe that uh, God's Word uh, is, is God speaking to us. God has revealed himself to us through his words. We study it. We go verse by verse through books of the Bible. We're in 2 Timothy. We are in the middle part of chapter 2. We'll finish chapter 2 next week before the following week, jumping to chapter 3 and continuing like that. And so I want to set up the context here. Uh, Timothy is a young pastor writing in the middle of opposition. He's in the middle of opposition in two ways. One particular way is that he's about to face uh, an incredible persecution. The church is about to, uh, in the context which he has passed, in is about to in, uh, face intense persecution uh, by Nero in, in the first century. And so this is what's, what's happening, what's about to happen. Uh, the guy who's writing the letter his, uh, the, is the Apostle Paul. It's, it's his, uh, Timothy's father in the faith. And he's about to be executed and murdered uh, for being a Christian. So there's the, the encroaching opposition to love Jesus, to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus, to not edit God's word, but to preach God's word is, is becoming ever increasingly, uh, the pressure is just heating up for Timothy, so he's facing opposition in that way. Additionally, he's facing opposition in that there's uh, false teachers that have in, invaded the church, so he's dealing with, with heretics, nut jobs, guys in the church who are just saying things they shouldn't be said. Uh, you're going to hear about some of those guys here in a minute. He names them. I just want you to know I'm not going to name anybody. Uh, I try not to do that. I, I'll t- we will attack ideologies. We will attack false teachings, uh, but we try not to attack uh, uh, individuals. Uh, but Paul doesn't, uh, doesn't he, writes the God, he writes God's word. God wanted us to know about these two men, we'll find out today, who have swerved from the, from the faith like a, a drunk driver on the road. Uh, they've, they've made a shipwreck of their life. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to see that here today. And so this is the context. Paul is writing to this, this man, Timothy. And this is the context that Timothy is pastoring this, this young, vibrant, growing church. And so before we get into our text, I, wanna, I want you to see this, that Paul is writing to this church. But in Revelation 2, Jesus is going to speak to this church, the church in Ephesus. We oftentimes we read, uh, we, we read this and we're like, man, I'm sure that, what did they do with what, with what he said? Did they obey? I mean, did, he, did, they, did they not obey? Like, Paul wrote this letter to this pastor in this church. Like, what are they doing with it? Well, and uh, you can go back and read it, but in, in, in Revelation 2, we see that, man, they, they held the line in many ways. They were, uh, they were uh, patiently enduring the suffering, uh, but also they were, they were not forsaking the gospel in many ways. But what they did forsake, Jesus tells them, you've forsaken uh, your first love. They, while, they, while they were enduring, they were tough, they were strong, they were not weary, but they, were in, they had great endurance. They did so, uh, as they did so, they became callous and they lost their first love for Jesus and stopped serving people. So what can happen in the middle of opposition, in, in, in the middle of, of hardship, in the middle of trial, uh, in, in a church but in your life, in, in opposition, in trial, what can happen is you can just become hard, hardened calloused. Your love for Jesus can wane. You may not openly uh, forsake him. You may not openly deny his word, but you, lo- you, you lose a love for him. You, lo- you, you lose your zeal for him. You, you lose the, the, the passion you had to tell others about him because he was so great and wonderful to you. See, this is what happens when you get bored of a movie, you stop telling people about it. When you get bored of Jesus, you stop telling people about him. 
So the, the marker of, uh, of our life is it, uh, one way to indicate, man, how, how are we doing, where are we at, is, is in the middle of trial, in the middle of, of persecution, in the middle of suffering, is your heart becoming hard, calloused, your love for Christ waning, you're holding the line, you're enduring, you're tough, you're strong. This is the context. This is the context in which we see Paul writing to this young pastor in this young church. And so the, Jesus will then say to the church in Revelation 2 to repent. And Paul is going to talk about this, this idea of repentance today. So the big theme in our text today is repentance. Repentance. And before we get into exactly what that means, Paul talks about two different types of workers. Two different types of workers. He's going to compare and contrast these two different types of people who are in the church. He does so to then call them both to repentance. He's, he's, he's going to talk about the honorable worker. And I want you to think not just, uh, you can, yes, you can be honorable at your job. He's talking about the honorable soldier, the honorable laborer, the honorable child of God. The one, the, the, uh, someone in the faith that is, that is of honorable use is what he's going to speak to. And he's going to, be, he's going to talk about individuals who are dishonorable, who have dishonored their master. So as we get started, who's your master? Who's your king? Who do you love? Who do you honor? Who do you respect? Is, is Jesus your king? Is Jesus the one you, you love? Is Jesus your master? If so, then, then hear what he has to say for you. If he's not your master, I, I, I call you to first uh, hear what I have to say and then respond uh, it, in obedience and trust in Jesus. And so Jesus, uh, Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. He says, remind them of these things. And charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which, which does no good, but only ruins its hearers. Do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker who is, has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. See, Paul is telling Timothy, to he's giving him an assignment. His assignment is to, he says, quote, charge them before God. This is like command them. He's not saying, hey, when you're, when you're up there and you're going to talk to them about what, what God's word says, just suggest some things to them. When you open God's word and, you, and, you, and you're going to preach, you just suggest some things. Hey guys, I, I suggest you follow Jesus. I suggest that sin is, ah, it's your, it, God said it's sin, but you can do whatever you want. No, he says, he says, charge them, command them, give them their marching orders from the word of God. And he says what's been interesting is Paul's been telling Timothy to remember, remember for him personally. And now he's switched to, to the congregation. And he's now, you know, he says, remind them. This is something that is not the first time they're hearing what, what's being taught here in the text. We, it was even uh, talked about in 1 Timothy as well. And he says he wants them to not be dishonorable, but to be honorable, to be an approved worker. When he says to, to, to present yourself as an approved worker, he is not saying prove yourself to God. Prove your worth. Prove your value. Prove your, your dignity. Prove that you are who you say you are in a manner to earn it. In a manner, he's, he's, not, he's not saying put on an outward appearance. But he's saying, he's, he's saying that, that, that truthfully trial Hardship. Uh, the language is, is, is refining. It's, it's, it's the language here, it, it means more like it being tested. 
Like metal is tested in fire, so a Christian is tested in hardship and trial. And so he's saying to, to the church, the congregation, when you're tested, when there's trial, when, there, when there's opposition, when there's pressure, it will reveal who you love, it will reveal who you worship, it will reveal if you're an honorable worker of the Lord Jesus, it will reveal that you are a dishonest, dishonorable worker of Jesus. Trial, hardship, pressure, it reveals who we really are. It's true. It's true. Some of you are like, man, I'm a, I only get angry when I'm hungry. No, you're an angry person who's hungry. That's what it is. Hunger just reveals that you have an anger problem. There's people who don't get angry when they're hungry. You know, did you know that? I did not know that because I, I mean, anger is one of my things. Uh, so I'm like, I just think hangry is everyone's thing. Like some people just cry when they're hungry. I've never done that. I don't even think I did that when I was a baby. I don't know, but probably not. Probably like broke something or like my son, uh, he cries, yes, but sometimes he'll just throw things. You're like, why? My daughters are like crying. My sons are like breaking things. The trial, the pressure, what makes you upset, where you're, where you're, you're, you're frustrated is, is, not, is, is revealing what's in your heart. We talk about it often like this. A cup of coffee, if I'm carrying a cup of coffee and you bump into me and it spills, the problem was not that you, uh, the, the, the problem was not that you bumped into me, the problem was I had coffee in the cup. If you bump a guy with an empty coffee cup, guess what it spills? Nothing. There's sin in our heart. There's sin in our lives. There, there's things that need to be uprooted, to be repented of. And trial, hardship, pressure is like someone bumping into you. It will reveal what's in the cup. It will reveal what's in the heart. And Paul is telling Timothy to tell the church, hey, uh, when trial comes, when, when, when persecution comes, when, when the uh, pressure intensifies, it's going to reveal what's in the heart. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about approved worker. He's not talking about proving himself or them proving themselves as, as to earn or merit God's love. So hardship and trial, they will reveal who you worship. For the honorable worker, it reveals uh, sin. So when sin is revealed, so if, it, it always reveals sin. But if you're the honorable worker, the one that, that, that Paul wants us to be, is that the, the honorable worker, when, when they're in trial and their sin is revealed, they repent. That's what an honorable worker does. They're like, hey, I'm wrong. Oh, thanks for letting me know. I didn't want to, do the, I didn't want to dishonor you, king. I didn't want to dishonor you, Jesus. I love you so much that I did not want to dishonor you. Thanks for letting me know. Now I can... Walk a different path. I can, I can go a different direction. So when, when they see through a trial that may, may, they've been clinging to comfort more than they've been clinging to hope in Christ. They're willing to repent of their, of, of, of their comfort, of their, their need to control everything. They're willing to, uh, the honorable worker is willing to repent when, when, when realized that, that uh, the foolish thing that they were doing was indeed foolish wrong and they, they they should repent when they've constructed their lives in a, such a way and this is what happens for many of you in here you're first generation christians like you, you 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 didn't grow up in the church didn't grow up knowing loving jesus and jesus saved you and so you had built your life many of you if you built your life uh, uh if you met jesus in your 20s or 30s or or beyond uh, you built your entire life not on god's word will and ways so you get saved, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, and, and, and you're reading the Bible, and you're all of a sudden like, you, you see something, and you're going, man, I've constructed my entire life off of something that is opposed to the word and will of God. 
And sometimes that becomes, that's incredibly hard. You're like, man, I have to move out of this situation. I have to break this relationship off. I have to to stop stealing this money. I have to, I didn't realize I was doing these dishonorable things. I have to make these massive decisions and changes because I'm in conflict with God's word. See, when the the, the honorable person will, will see their sin revealed in the scriptures and go, man, no matter what it costs, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. The dishonorable worker will double down because Jesus isn't enough. They'll double down and they'll make excuses. They'll act like it doesn't exist. They will, they will, they will hide. They will, they will lie. They will, they, will, they will masquerade behind a, face, a, a fake righteousness, putting on a mask, showing a front, and continuing in foolish ways, continuing to uh, hold on uh, to, to, to control. If God is asking them to release control, then they, 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 they get a tighter grip. Or they, they rebrand themselves. That's, that's, that's new in our day. Like everyone you know, wants to rebrand themselves, a new, new image, joke, go to a new church. This is what happens a lot. They'll, just, you know, they'll be confronted at one church. They'll go to the ne- next church, and they'll be a totally different person. I've seen guys literally change their gender, go to another church, and they're like, man, I'm, I'm this guy now. I mean, girl, but whatever. Uh, and, and then that church is like, we love that, that about you, and we're, we're that kind of church. And, and uh, we're really excited, and we're going to bless you. And so because they wouldn't repent of their sin and they were found out, they just found out a way to rebrand themselves and, and find a new group of people who would affirm them. And now, he's, now they're getting money. Now they're getting resources. Now they're getting help. Now they're getting you know, attention. Because they rebranded. Dishonorable workers, that's what they're doing. They're going to double down on the, on, when convicted by sin, they're going to double down. Let me ask you. Some of you are like, man, I, I, don't, I haven't gone that far. It doesn't start that way. It doesn't start that way. The honorable person, they, they, the, the honorable man or woman, they, they see they're convicted of their, their sin and they're, they're willing to repent. So the honorable man or woman, additionally, he says, it has no need to be ashamed. They're not ashamed of the Lord. They're not ashamed of his word. They're not ashamed to live by it. They're not ashamed to go, man, you know what? I was wrong. I got to go tell my mom and dad I've been wrong my entire life. And if, if, what, if, they're, if the plan of action means that you have to, to make drastic changes, they're going, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I don't care if people make fun of me. I don't care if my friends uh, forsake me. I don't care, like, I love Jesus, I love his word, it's better, so I'm not ashamed of him, I'm not ashamed of his mission, I'm not ashamed of his message, I'm not ashamed of how to apply God's word, I'm not ashamed of the implications of, of being adopted as a son of God. See, see I don't, you don't ever see this when a, someone gets uh, adopted, a young child, maybe out of the foster care system, gets adopted into a new family, a family who loves them and, and cares for them, uh, unlike their first family. They get adopted in. They don't, they don't go, man, the implications of this family I'm just ashamed of. You know, like they love me. They feed me. They, they protect me. They're for me. I'm kind of, they're like, I'm for that. I love that. We're even going to call you mom and call you dad. Like we're in. We're in. It's the same way we get adopted into the family of God. We, we go from enemies of God to not just friends but children of God. We're like, man, I'm not ashamed because God is for me. Who can be against me? I'm not ashamed because his word, will, and ways is true. Uh, if, it, if anything I encounter in life from Satan and demons lies, I don't care. I'm going to stand on the word of God. I'm not ashamed. 
Additionally, it says that the, the honorable worker rightly handles the Bible. It says this way, rightly handles the word of truth. It means he doesn't edit it. She doesn't edit it. You don't come to the description and go, oh, I don't really like that one. I'm going to take that out. Or I'm going to skip that chapter because, you know, that one's, a, that one's a tough one. I really don't want don't to don't get into that one. Or, man, that, when I read this one, I feel real, really guilty. And I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to repent of sin. They edit God's word. They, they, they change it. They don't submit to it. They don't apply it. They don't live by it. But the, but the one who, who is the honorable man, the honorable woman of God, they do. They live by God's word. They apply God's word. They love God's word. They, they herald God's word. They submit to God's word. This, this imagery here uh, of, of rightly handling is, is, that, uh, is not that of division, but of, of plowing a, uh, a course, chartering a course, or plowing um, a, um, a path in the woods. Think about plowing a path through the woods or, or um, constructing a highway or a road. This rightly handling the word of truth is, is creating this image is that the man of God or woman of God who is an, an honorable man or honorable woman of God, they're the type of people who, they're the path in which that, that guides them in their life, the road in which they travel is, is predicated and contingent and solely based off the word of God. The, they, they, the word of truth is what leads them, meaning God's word is what directs their life. Their thought life, their, their, their work life, their, their emotional life, their relationships, their marriages, their kids, their parenting, their jobs, everything. It's the exact same Im- imagery we see in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths or he will direct your paths. That's the same imagery we have here. See, the, see, Solomon in Proverbs is telling us, who do you trust? He says, trust the Lord with all your heart, with all your heart, with all your, your mind, with all your strength. Don't lean on your own understanding. Lean on God's understanding. Put your faith in him. Put your hope in him. Stay, stay tethered to him. His word, his will, his ways, and he will direct your path. He will plow the field. He will construct the highway for you to maneuver on, to drive down. He will direct your life. When we construct our lives and build our lives on God's word, will, and ways, we have a a, a great hope and a great promise that he will get us where he wants us to go. Jesus will lead us. The psalmist also says down in the, in the same way that we're speaking here in, uh, among uh, uh, you know, green grass and streams of water. Verse 14, he says, though, that he says, charge them before God to not quarrel about words. So now he's going to talk about, he's going to begin talking about the dishonorable worker. And he says, charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good. It only ruins its hearers, he says. It's, it's, this is, he's speaking here on one hand of talking about meaningless conversations, meaningless stuff. He's speaking here where there's people who make meaningless arguments and here it says they do no good. They do no good. It, it only ruins their hearers. There's no positive um, thoughts that are going on in their, in their conversation. There's no practical impact we see Paul talk and address this in, in 1 Timothy as well. But additionally, he talks about quarrels. He says that they, they, they like to fight. 
They like to make quarrels. They, they, they're, they're, it's just like the person who uh, jumps on the internet and jumps on the, the, the comment section of the church that they know nothing about, the pastor they know nothing about, uh, and they just start commenting. Like, I, I read a blog about you somewhere, and I'm just going to jump in. He says, don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. It does no good. Like, literally does no good. Have you ever seen anyone converted through uh, uh, the, the comment section of, uh, you know, you know Trolls and quarreling. Maybe you have. Tell me about it. I think it just leads to more fighting. They, like Christians who just comment on things without knowing the person or knowing the people. Like it, this is this is if someone says something to me who know about my family, about my house, about anything, and they don't, and I don't know them, I literally will not listen or care. Like I don't will not engage. I don't care what you think about my wife. I know what I think about her, and it's what I think. I don't care what you think. So I don't, the Christians sometimes just get so, um, Paul is warning them against, just don't be so argumentative and quarreling. He's not against fighting for the faith, which we'll talk about in a moment, but he's against like this pointless stuff that Christians get involved in. So that's what he's saying on one hand. There's pointless arguments don't get involved in. But secondly, he's talking about false teachers. He's saying there's some that argue over words. Their focus is on, on, on their, their quarrel about words. They're quarreling about words. And I want you to know, this is what every false teacher does. Every false teacher will go, hey, we've, we finally figured it out. I have figured it out. Me and my peers have figured it out. After you know, 2,000 years of human history, this word doesn't mean what they've been talking about for the past 2,000 years. So... Uh, this new thing that we're going to say uh, is, is true. All those, everyone for 2,000 years has been wrong on the issue. And so, you know, we're going to redefine, they, they redefine orthodox positions, meaning healthy, straight, uh, right, uh, rightly divided truths about God's word. False teachers always like to go, oh, no, no that word doesn't mean that. Oh, that word hell doesn't really mean that. It just means like outside the city. So he's not talking about eternal punishment. He's not talking about wrath of God. He's talking about the little fire where you burn trash outside. That's what he's talking about. I know no one has known that really for like 2,000 years. And they've been, they've been really preaching this, this reality that God uh, uh, poured out his wrath on his son. And if we don't repent and believe in him, then, then he will pour out his wrath on us. Like, nope, not true. It's because this word hell means like fire trash can thing. And so like we're going to write a whole booklet about it. We're going to go on tour. We're going to tell other people about it. And, you know, people are like, wow, I did not know this. I read one book. And this one guy says, this word means, whoa, what other words do I not know? Maybe God's word is filled. Maybe we don't know anything. In the post-modern world that we live in, that's where we're at. Oh, how do we really know? If hell doesn't mean that, then what does this other word mean that? Does love really mean love? I don't know. I think it means whatever you think it means. What does it mean to be a man? I don't know. Woman, you define it. Who cares? I don't know. Love your neighbor as yourself. Man, affirm their sin is what we now, that's what we call that. We just change and edit God's word. Like cowards and heretics and nut jobs and the false teachers that Paul is dealing with. And our day and age is ruled with them. They have book deals. They have, they, have, they, have, they have platforms. They have Instagram accounts. They have YouTube channels. And they're popular. 
These teachers were popular here in this day. They didn't have the access we have. And Paul is saying those guys who are, who are sitting there redefining words, uh, re-changing God's word, man, these are, these, are, these are not honorable workers in the church. He continues to talk about dishonorable workers. He says it this way. He says, verse 16, but avoid. He's saying, he says, how do you treat them? You avoid them. He says, he wants you to be honorable. He says, avoid irreverent babble. This is what they're doing. They're babbling. See, Paul is not against being, he, he's not a bit against quarreling. He's against quarreling about stupid stuff. But he, he, he will quarrel. He will contend for the gospel. And he's doing so here. He's about to name two guys that have shipwrecked their faith. So he's not against quarreling. He's not against fighting for the truth. He's against fighting for other reasons. Other, other truth. Not, the, the not truth. And so we shouldn't be afraid to contend for the faith. But we also shouldn't be afraid to like avoid just certain conversations, avoid certain books, avoid, avoid some, certain people unless you're reading those so that you can understand the context to, to make an argument for. But largely, not everyone needs to read every single book under the sun. See, in Genesis, God told his people that there was a tree of knowledge of good and evil uh, that they were not to eat of because mankind wasn't meant to know everything. They were not, never meant to know everything. In our information age, we're like, i got to know everything. You're like, well, you're literally doing the very thing that God had not intended for you to do. How, how, how has it helped? Knowing so much. We just sound like babblers. He says irreverent babble that will lead people into what? More and more ungodliness. See, there's no neutrality in this world. It's like Christianity is swimming upstream, always. We're always swimming upstream. Sin, Satan, death, attacking, pressuring the context here on earth before Jesus returns or until we go home, uh, until the new heavens and the new earth, is gonna be, we're, we're, it's going to be upstream swimming. What happens if you're swimming up a sh- of, of a river upstream, what ends up happening if you stop swimming? You start floating backwards. You start floating back. There's no neutrality in this. And so what happens if you don't know, love, trust Jesus, continue to know, love, and trust Jesus, to follow him, to fight, repent of your sin, to continue on his mission, what ends up happening is he just just leads you into more and more ungodliness. That's why people were like, man, I'll just clean my life up one day. Like, by the time you get to that day, it'll be so, you'll be so far gone that you won't even know what's up from down. Because that's what he says, then their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. He names these two people. Two guys in the church. Imagine preaching a sermon like that. Man, who have swerved from the truth, saying that he, meaning Jesus has, has, has already, or sorry, saying that the resurrection has already happened. Jesus has resurrected. I'll talk about what he's saying here in a minute. Uh, they're upsetting some in the faith. So that's what they're doing. He's saying avoid this kind of babble. Avoid these kind of conversations. If necessary, avoid these kind of people. He's saying these teachings and these ideologies uh, you follow. And the same is true today. Any teachings and ideologies we follow have consequences. Have consequences. 
See, the Bible is our standard. It's not, we're not saying don't have non-Christian friends, but absolutely do. But you're, you are to be the influence uh, to your non-Christian friend, to point them back to Jesus. It's not that I have all these non-Christian friends and I, I look up to them and go, man, I want to be like them. I want to worship their false god. I want to go to their you know, campfire for eternity. I want to, go, I want to eat their feast in, in torment forever. Like, what, what would you, Why? So the, the people, it's not that you shouldn't have non-Christian friends, but the, your standard is not people. It's, it's, it's a person. Your standard is not, a pe- it's not people. It's a person. His name is Jesus. And he wrote a book to you. It's called the Bible. The Bible is our standards. So we test all ideologies, all beliefs, all teachings, even this one with the word of God. He says these dudes have swerved from the faith. He's literally, this is like two drunk drivers. This is what he's saying. They're, they're driving drunk on the highway, and they've swerved off the cliff. They've shipwrecked their, their lives. This is what, the, he says, these Bible teachers are like drunk in the pulpit. Man, they're slurring their words. They have irreverent babble. There's babbling. This is, these guys should not be preaching. These are the guys who act like experts because they read one book. They're the ones, they're, these are the early adopters. Hymenaeus and Philetus, these are the early adopters, where they're the first to adopt every new trend. They don't test it with God's word. They're just ready to put out the hashtag before the hashtag's created because they want to be the first. That's all they care about. They care about themselves. They care about their own uh, beliefs or their, their own standing among others. They don't care about their standing among God. And so when, when the times change, they change. They never apologize. They never repent of it. They never say, I was wrong. It's just like, oh, just new day, new me. New day, new me. So also this image is like a, it's like a high school party where, where there's peer pressure to underage drink or do drugs or something. Think, think about this. Peer pressure is real and it's effective. And have you been uh, you know, guilty of peer pressure? I should say this. Anyone, any of you uh, been peer pressured and you're like, man, I got pressure into something. Don't really like that. Well, this is what he's saying. He said these people will lead people into more and more ungodliness. These guys are, are pressuring people through this teaching the same principle is at work here. And he said, everyone's doing it, so why as well we should do it? Because if we don't do it, then, I mean, look at the mob. Look at the people. Man, we'd be opposing the majority. We now live in a world where truth is not predicated off of reality, particularly not the word of God, but, but truth is predicated and in, in, in defined by what the majority thinks. Or the person who has media time, they get to define the truth. So if everyone's doing it, man, if the news says it's true, we just join alongside. He, said, he says the, the result is, is more and more ungodliness. It's like the pressure of, of the culture pushing us towards a direction. This is what I mean by we're swimming upstream. There's pressure against us to, to forsake Jesus, to forsake his word, to forsake his ways, to, to, to punt on, on, on what he's called us to and be silent about the truth and just go along with the flow of the river, which will lead to destruction. And not helping anyone get out of the river, not helping anyone swim upstream, not helping anyone see Jesus as the Savior, not helping anyone have life, not helping anyone have, have uh, godliness, not helping anyone in any way. Like, that's what's going on. See, you can always tell false teachers by their fruit. He says here, their fruit, the fruit is they produce more and more ungodliness. 
See, there's no repentance here. See, false teachers never call you to repentance. I literally have pastors in the city that will, and I don't know how. I really don't know. Maybe some of you guys are telling, I, mean, I know you're probably not, but I don't know how. But pastors have come to me and say, hey, pastor, I heard this last Sunday, this sermon you preached, like you, uh, you really, you, it seems like every week you talk about repentance. I'm like, are you watching online? What are you talking about? But yes, we're talking about repentance. And I just feel like you're talking about sin too much. Pastors in the city. You talk about sin and repentance too much, pastor. Those guys, I don't respect. I don't call them pastors. I, I did just now publicly. I should recant that title. They're not. They're not pastors. They're cowards. They're faithless. They're like, they're like Hymenaeus and Philetus. I'm just not naming them. But they're leading people off a cliff. They're, they're drunk driving in the pulpit. Saying love is, a, is, is, is defined by whatever you think it means. Whatever you say it is. Affirm the culture. Forsake the Bible. Worship demons. Forsake your God. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. And I say this stuff and other pastors are like, well, I've seen that, but what are we supposed to say? I'm just reading what he says. Avoid them. Don't get, enter their babble. Defend the faith, because what's going to happen is they're going to spread like gangrene, it says. You know what there was? I literally know someone who, uh, I've known multiple people, but that have had uh, gangrene, which is an infection that is killing or rotting the, the body. You know what you have to do in order to preserve the life of the body if a limb is infected with gangrene? You got to cut it off or it kills the body. Paul is saying these guys had to get him out because they were going to kill the church. And now we give people platforms to, to infect Christians with gangrene all across the world. And if you say anything about them, you're, you're mean. You're narrow-minded. You're quarrelsome. No, we're contending for the faith. We're not getting into stupid arguments. We're getting into the right arguments. We're not looking for fights, but when they come, we're ready to fight. Gangrene spreads, and the result will, will be ruin and death and decay. This is the dangers of false teaching. This is the danger of it continuing in a church, in a body, in your life, in your mind. So think about you individually, continually believing false teaching. It's going to rot out. If you don't cut it out, it's going to destroy your body. It's going to destroy your life. It's going to destroy your marriage. It's going to destroy your legacy. And so, secondly, this, this gangrene, I want you to see that it, it not only should be cut off, but this is, this is the same type of thing going back to the, the analogy of the, the drunk driver or the guy who's been drinking too much. What do you do with that guy? You take his keys from him. You take his keys from him. You're like, don't get on the road. You're not thinking straight right now. So what I'm saying, some of you, you might be believing false teaching. You might be struggling. You might be wrestling with some things. And you're going, I don't know what's true. I want you to know we're glad you're here, and let's wrestle through it together. Let's wrestle through it together. You don't have to know everything right now. You can believe false things. But, but the, the, the issue is not believing false things. It's not repenting of it when you realize that it's false. So we're glad you're here. We want to walk with you through it. But just don't go teaching it. Just don't go, I'm going to go out there and infect everybody. Like, this is what we should be worried about spreading, false teaching. That's what. 
He says this, those who are doing so are, are off the path, off the path of God's word. The, 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 the path which he says was, was that we were to be, the word of God was to, to be what we're headed down, as to, what, to, to rightly handling the word of truth, that direction. These teachers have, have missed the target. They're off course. And so just like in Paul's day, they were infected. Just like our day, people have been infected. And see, I just need, it hit the infection here, what's going on particularly with them, they're saying that the dead are raised. He's saying, he says this, that they've uh, swerved from the faith, saying uh, the resurrection has already happened. Some of you will be like, why is this a big deal? Like, why is Paul, why, why is this a big deal? Well, number one, they're saying that either, either the resurrection has happened, either Jesus has already returned, meaning that all those who are left, nah, you missed it, like, I... I that's how you know they're a false teacher. Like, Jesus has returned, and he didn't take me. Believe me. Like, what? Not talking, not listening to that guy. Uh, but also, they're, they're, they're likely also saying, or, or maybe additionally saying, that uh, there is no resurrected body. That the resurrection has happened, that when Jesus rose from the dead, those who are dead in Christ have, uh, are with him, uh, not in Abraham's bosom or side, but now with, with the Father in heaven, which is true. They are with him, but they're, they're not awaiting a resurrected body. Which, some of you are like, well, what's the problem with that? Jesus said there would be. That's the problem. The problem is not people having ideas. The problem is when their ideas contradict what Jesus says. If you have an idea and you find out, like Jesus said something different. It's your job to go, huh, I was wrong, not him. They're saying Jesus is wrong, essentially. When Jesus says that, you know, when he returns for the, his second coming, the dead in Christ will rise, they're like, no, nah, that's not happening. Not believing that. So it, this is the problem of their day. Our day, there's new issues. And, and there's new issues continually to, to, to uh, culminate and to be reproduced and to produce. And so my, my job right now isn't to tell you uh, which issues there are and let, name them all. The issue that Paul is getting at here is, is if you have a, if the Bible is your standard and you're willing to repent, it doesn't matter what the issue of the day is. It doesn't matter. Which leads us to verse 19. The Christian life is one of repentance. It's the Christian life. That's what it is. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Meaning, if you're a Christian, you should repent, depart from iniquity. Martin Luther, when he wrote the 95 Theses, his first one, the very first one says this, When our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said, Repent, he willed that the entire life of believers be one of repentance. See, this is what Paul's saying. We may not know. The Lord knows who are his. You and I may not know who are his fully. But, but we, because there's people that I've walked with who knew, know, loved, and I thought worshiped Jesus, um, and that no, no longer do. And so sometimes you just don't know. You just don't know. God knows. He knows from the beginning. He, he knows. He knows who's legit and who's fake. He knows. But Paul also says you can know something. Everyone who names the name of the Lord, those who are Christians, those who love Jesus, those who trust Jesus, they will repent. They will depart from iniquity. That's how you know. So Luther, when he says the Christian life is one of, of continual repentance, he's right. 
We repent first and trust Jesus for salvation, meaning we were once putting our faith and trust in something that was for a salvation that was not Jesus. And so we repentance simply means to turn around. So we turn around from trusting whatever we were trusting for salvation. Maybe it be ourselves, maybe it be our works, maybe it be something. We turn around and put our faith and trust in Jesus alone. That's the first repentance, salvation. When Jesus showed up, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We repent and turn and trust him, give him our life, give him our sins. He becomes our master. And then as we live out our life, when we are aware of, of areas of our life that are not congruent or are in disobedience or are, we believe lies that Jesus has revealed to us that they're lies, and we're not walking in the truth, when that's revealed, we turn again. Oops, I didn't know that. Repentance. See, the majority of people, like new Christians, uh, new Christians, first off, there's a lot of things you don't know, and then you, you read it, and you're like, oh, i got to repent there. Awesome. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for, for a while, and you're like, man, I know, and I keep doing it. I'm willfully not repenting. So let me tell you, let everyone in here who names the name of the Lord, depart from iniquity, period. Not question mark, not let's talk about it after. Now, I charge you before God, like Paul says, that everyone in here who names the name of the Lord, depart from iniquity. You know you're, you're walking down the path that, that is not honoring to God, that's not glorifying to God. You know you're believing lies. Stop. You're looking at stuff you shouldn't be looking at. You're, you're saying things you shouldn't be saying. You, you just know, you're just dishonoring God in word and deed, and you know it. Repent. Turn. Turn. So the evidence here of whose are the Lord's, God knows. But the evidence is they bear fruit. How do you know an apple tree is an apple tree? Does it have peaches on it? No. It has apples. Christians have Repentance. It's a fruit of salvation. you got to repent to be saved. you got to repent to be sustained. So this is why everything we do here, if you're a guest with us, this is why we do everything we do. And it's, it, we're like a sniper aimed at three things. To follow Jesus. We want us all, everyone in here wants you to follow Jesus. And then as we're following him, we realize that, man, there's sin, there, there, there's, there's stuff in our life that, that, is, that are derailing us from the life that Christ has called us to. What do we do? We fight sin. So we're following Jesus, then we fight sin. Why? Because sin keeps us from God. Sin takes us away from uh, a joy, peace with, with Christ. Sin leads us into folly and ruin and ruins our lives and others' lives. That's what we do. We, we fight sin, namely internally. We don't fight people. We fight sin, internal sin. And then what do we do? We continue to push forward to fulfill the mission. We don't want to get off track. We don't want to be derailed from Christ's mission. So we're a sniper aimed at those three things. And so some of you may, may be hearing this word repentance, and maybe because of your background or, or maybe the church you grew up in, you think repentance means you got to do some stuff to earn your way back into the family. You Like your mom treated you a certain way and you, or your dad, and you got in trouble, and it's like, if you, you know, we're not good until you do all these things. You say sorry in this way, you buy these flowers, or maybe it's how your wife treats you or your, your husband treats you, and you feel like, and y'all are, that's wicked and sinful, and I'm talking about you if this is you. If, you, if your love and your forgiveness is contingent, and you call yourself a Christian, hear this, if you call yourself a Christian, 
you know, love and trust Jesus, and you're a husband, and your wife, when she has sinned against you, has to do a list of things in order to become right with you again. You're like the serpent Satan. That's who you are. You're not like your father. Well, you, maybe you switched fathers to the one who gets his head cut off. If you don't want your head cut off, don't do that. Extend the same mercy and grace to your wife that Jesus extends to you. And wives, you too. You too. God keeps no record of your wrongs. Do you keep record of your husband's wrongs? That, see, that's what penance is. It's like, I've messed up, and I have all this list of wrongs. I've got to somehow earn my way back. Or this person was really good to me, so now i got to, oh, I'm indebted to them. They cared for me. They gave me a meal. They babysat my kids, and now i got to pay them back. How many of you moms, that's, that's, you live by guilt, not by faith. Oh, they babysat my kids, and I have to do it for them. I'm getting too close to them. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, the repentance is earning back right standing with God. Repentance is I have right standing with God. Therefore, I'm turning around and going home. My child running out into the road, and I say, hey, come back in. Don't run into the street. I'm not going, ho, ho, stop. Turn around. List off all the reasons why I didn't want you to run into the street. I'm locking the door until you tell me sorry 18 times. Prove it. I'm, you got to sit out there six times when a, when a truck comes by and not get hit, and then I'll let you in, show you've learned. No. I don't, you don't even have a conversation. You're like, hey, son, daughter, come back in. The door's open. Run back inside. They get inside. We shut it. We hug. I'm so thankful you listened to me. You see that truck? And it's, it, it's the father telling the child, look at what almost happened. I'm so grateful that you turned back. You came. This is what Jesus, this is what repentance looks like. When Jesus uh, has, has already made right standing with you before God, when you turn from your dishonorable ways back to, to Christ, he's, he's picking you up. The father is picking you up. And he's not scolding you. He's saying, I'm so glad you turned around. See, what was coming ahead of you would have destroyed you. That anger in your heart that left unrepentant was going to kill you. He told this to Cain to repent of his anger, and, and Cain did it. And what happened? He killed his brother. This is, if Cain would have repented, God would have been like, look, what could have happened? You could have, man, it would have just seized you. Look what's going on. That lust could ruin your marriage. That pride could ruin your, your life. Just come back. He's, he's not scolding you, saying, I've already died for your sins. That's the reality. Jesus has already paid the penalty for your sin. All of them, past, present, and future sins. So repentance is going, I'm aware that I'm wrong, and I'm coming back home. To be received by a loving Father who rejoices in all of heaven, rejoices. When one sinner repents, they throw a party. You're like, I didn't click that button and look at that woman who's not my wife online. They're throwing a party. And you're going, I don't know if I made the right decision. I just feel weird. Um, I feel shame. Throw a party. You repent of your sin. Throw a party. Internally rejoice. You're aware of the sin. No matter how hard it is to turn, rejoice that you heard the voice of the Lord. Rejoice that you turned. Rejoice. 
Repentance is, is what we do when we, we feel like we have to earn our way back. Just a long path of earning our way back. I've messed up and i got all these things I can do. Here's the reality. You cannot earn salvation. And since you can't earn it, you can't lose it. You can't lose what you didn't earn. You can't. It's not yours. You don't have rights over life. You don't have rights over salvation. Jesus does. If he gives it to you, you're his. He knows all who are his. And proof that you're his is you're one, you're a Christian who, who, who lives their life as one of continual repentance. Not to earn God's love, it's because you have God's love. The Christians, we, we repent. Why? Because we love Jesus. We love him. We love his ways. We want to be closer to him. We've been adopted into the family, and so we want to learn our family. What is our heavenly, what is our heavenly father like? We've been, we've been adopted in. What is, like if you, some of you go into someone's house. If you, know, you go into someone's house who may have a bigger house than you, and you're like, can I see the rooms? Can I see the backyard? Like, I'm interested. Your father has saved you and redeemed you through the finished work of his son, Jesus Christ. We get to spend forever, even now, just getting to know our Heavenly Father. Repentance is what we do when when we've been adopted into the family, when we see uh, God's ways are different than our ways, and we're going, yep, I'm changing my mind on this. Whatever God says on this is my opinion. And in doing so, you're freed from stuff. I want you to see this. One who loves Jesus and their alliance is to Jesus and not to their sin, like they're freed. Like they're free. They're free from the stuff that's killing them. So when, when someone says, man, you're, you're not doing that anymore. Your friends make fun of you. You don't care. You don't care. You, 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 when, when your reputation is ruined for following Jesus, you're like, dude, his reputation got ruined. Why wouldn't mine? They persecuted him. Maybe I get so lucky. That's what they did in Acts. In the beginning of the Bible, or in the beginning of the New Testament, after Jesus rose from the dead, the apostles, when they would get thrown into prison, they would high-five each other on the way, and we're counted worthy to suffer like Jesus. Where is that in our world? Where is that in the church? Being worthy to be counted like Jesus. You lose some friends, praise God. Your reputation is ruined. Don't be ashamed. He ends with this. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. Therefore, he's he's, he's tying it all up. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to, to the master of the house, ready for good every good work. See, this metaphor as he's ending this, 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 this point he's making on repentance, he's zeroing in on, on, he's calling it the great house. And what this great house is, it represents is the visible church. The visible church. Anyone who knows, loves, and trusts Jesus globally in the church. He says, in the church there are honorable people, who, people, people who call themselves Christians. Some of them are real, they're honorable. Some of them are false and fake. They're dishonorable. And when he says that there are honorable, these are, he, he's referring to gold and silver. What he's referring to is these fine dishes like, uh, that you would, you would display uh, at, a, at a fancy feast. This is like glassware. This is, these are the things you don't throw away. You keep. You put on a shelf. You, when they break, you're like, oh, no, or, you know, i got to replace that. See, dishonorable use, the, what he's talking about, this is like uh, paper plates. You just throw them away. 
He says some people in the church have cleansed themselves of unrighteousness, meaning they have no love and trust Jesus, and they're continuing to repent. And they're like, they're like the, the, the glassware in the cabinet. Others in the, in the visible church, they're going to be thrown in the garbage can. You're like, I don't like that. I mean, I'm not, I don't write the news. I just tell it. That's just what he says. That's what he says. Here they're talking about wood and clay. So get burned up. The wood's going to heat the house. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. But he says, here's the good news. Anyone can be moved from dishonorable to honorable through repentance. That's what he says. It's not bad news. It's just news. And then there's good news. So there's the news that there's both honorable and dishonorable glass plates and paper plates in the church. Paper plates are going in the trash. If you realize that you're dishonorable, you don't love Jesus, you don't honor him, you don't love him, hey, here's your option. Repent. Repent. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy and useful. See, here's the reality. Christians who don't practice repentance are not useful to the kingdom. Some of you are like, man, I haven't been used by God in the years. Yeah, let me ask you this. Have you made repentance a practice of your daily life? Like, no, I haven't. Didn't think about it. Now you go. Here you go. What are you going to do in light of that? Are you going to respond in faith? Are you going to be a man or woman of repentance? You're like, well, I thought this, I thought Christianity wasn't about works or earning God's love. It's not. It's not about earning your way in the family. But if you want to be in the family, you want to be useful, you want to be reused, used and reused, then you got to be a man or woman of repentance. That's what he's saying. The useful Christians are those who are mar- whose lives are marked by repentance. See, he says they're made holy. You are made holy. If you're a Christian, you need to know this. You are made holy by the by the person and work of Jesus. Christ's holiness has been given to you through faith. What repentance does is just says I'm his. I'm repenting because I'm, I'm his. I, I reflect who I worship. I, I'm, I'm, you cannot love Jesus and worship Jesus and continually disobey him and not repent. It doesn't work. It literally is impossible. The only people who have the ability to uh, say they worship Jesus and not repent are not Christians. Christians don't have the ability. They don't have the ability to worship Jesus and then deny him. If you do that, it's called non-Christian. Not Christian. Dishonorable. Repent. Because the Holy Spirit, through faith, through salvation, we've been given the Holy Spirit. It's the same Spirit that empowered Jesus for his life and ministry lives in you. The third member of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit lives in you. And he won't relent. He will continue to convict and love and discipline because you're a child of God. A child of God cannot continually go headlong forever in unrepentance. If that's, if that's you, if you've gone, then, then you, you may not have the Holy Spirit. God's kindness through his spirit continually leads us to constant, continual repentance. The fruit that we bear is one of repentance. Our lives then reflect the God we worship. Not to earn him, but because we've already lo- he already loves us. He says also, not only does that happen to Christians, but has some, ha- there's, there's honorable and dishonorable teachers in the visible church. 
There's some, there's some that should be, you know, continuing to be used and reused, uh, like, like, you know, glass plates. There's others that need to be thrown in the garbage disposal and ground up and told never to preach again. That's what he's saying. He says, if you want to be an honorable vessel, you want to be an honorable Bible teacher, then preach it. Preach the word. Don't deviate from it. You want to be an honorable man or woman of God? Don't deviate from God's word. Submit to it. Love it. Read it. Obey it. If you don't care, and hope you heard, hope you like the sound of garbage disposal. Because that's your future. But the good news is we all have, we all have an opportunity today. To, to, to hear instead of the sound of grinding and gnashing of teeth, which we're told Jesus says, which hell and forever and torment will be for those who don't know, love, and trust Jesus. You have the option to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Which do you want to hear? How will you respond? Will you resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Will you resist God's word speaking to you? Or will you joyfully receive it? Some of you becoming Christian for the first time. Others of you who are Christian, you're going, I'm, I'm glad to come back. I'm not ashamed. I want to repent. When Jesus convicts me, when I see it, I'm not going to delay. I want us all here today to receive whatever God the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. If he's asking you to turn, turn today. Whenever you hear the voice of the Lord, whenever you open it and, and are convicted, joyfully say yes, Lord, and gladly and willfully hear his voice and turn and obey it good child, like an honorable man, like an honorable woman, knowing that, that your response, as we saw last week, when we are faithless, God is still faithful. He wants you to come back to him like a father wants his son to climb back up into his lap after avoiding being hit by the 18-wheeler off the highway. Turn. Come back. Daily. Hourly. Weekly. Forever. And then one day, you'll hear in, in the presence of the assembly. Well done, good and faithful servant. You're like, what did I do? I just kept repenting. I, didn't, I just kept coming back to my dad. I kept loving my Savior. May that be true for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you bless us to that end? May we be the type of men and women who, who love Jesus, you and your voice and your word. Uh, you, you say through, through John that the sheep hear your voice. We know your voice. So may we know, be a people who know your voice, who respond to your voice, who obey your voice. You say, Jesus, also that if we love you, we'll obey you. So may we do that. May we be men and women who are tethered and tied to your word, who love you and your word and your will and ways, and, and not just love them, but also tell them, herald them, and may they empower us to, to, to live lives that, that, that are following you, uh, li living lives that continue to fight our sin internally and, and continue to live lives that, that propel the mission so more people can know, love, and trust you, you, Jesus, that their sins can be forgiven, they can have hope, redemption, and new life, and that we can be ambassadors helping people hear and see that the king has won. His name is Jesus. He offers forgiveness. Just repent and turn to him. May that be true of us daily, and may that be true of many in this city through you, Holy Spirit, working through us as we encounter people in this city and in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Mm -hmm.